Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Welcome to AASHTO's ETAP Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. 20 million, or about half of American children in grades K through 8, ride on a school bus every day. Students from coast to coast board one of the country's nearly half a million buses each morning and ride to class while the bus guzzles gasoline. On average, they run seven miles to the gallon. With buses providing 10 billion annual student rides, electrification presents a major opportunity to green the transportation industry and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or IIJA, in concert with state DOTs and organizations like the World Resources Institute, sets out to do just that. With a coming influx of $5 billion from the IIJA to replace existing buses, it's time for a big change in school transportation. Joining us on the podcast today is Sue Gander, Director of the Electric School Bus Initiative at the World Resources Institute's Ross Center for Sustainable Cities. Sue and her team are currently working on their goal of electrifying 480,000 school buses by 2030. Sue, welcome to AASHTO's ETAP Podcast. Thank you, Bernie. Great to be invited to be with you and speak about electric school buses. Really excited about this opportunity. Yeah, it's a topic that we haven't touched on. And, you know, we certainly have thought a lot about vehicle electrification. That is something that so many people are talking about. But an important facet of transportation's future is not just the cars and even electric trucks that are being talked about, but school buses. It's something that maybe is overlooked. How do school buses fit into the overall vehicle electrification picture? And why is school bus electrification so critical? You're right. School buses are are one part of a broader transportation network. And we see them really sitting in a broader paradigm of transportation decarbonization. You know, the electrification of vehicles is one aspect of our move to a lower carbon transportation sector in a lower carbon world um, that involves voiding, shifting, and improving emissions. So um, this is truly one, one piece of that, but we think it's really important because of the whole range of benefits that electric buses um, bring to the table. And we're excited that we have a grant from the Bezos Earth Fund to focus very specifically on school bus electrification over the next five years. And that was really because of the recognition that it's a sector that's moving, where there's a lot of opportunity, and that beyond the greenhouse gas emissions benefits, there are truly an amazing number of air quality, health benefits, and equity implications. So when we think about this, um, we think about how we've made a lot of progress on the light duty fleet. Transit buses are increasingly electrified, and um, I think well over half of those have, have made this switch. So this is the next frontier, um, if you will. Um, So we've looked at this in terms of four main benefits, kind of our whys for why uh, the World Resources Institute and and our partners and and many others are are looking to electrify school buses. There's the benefits to children's health. Um, You mentioned how 20 million kids ride buses every day. These are largely diesel-powered buses that can have up to 12 times more pollution than ambient levels. And that pollution has harm to both physical and and cognitive development. And um, because of the nature of who rides the bus, 
this is disproportionately impacting low-income communities and communities of color. Um, so we're really focused on that. I mentioned the benefits to climate change. Um, school buses are a small slice of the overall climate change pie, but you know we need every portion of that to come down um, with respect to you know tackling our climate change goals. We also think that school buses play an important role in shifting and helping shift the entire medium and heavy-duty sector overall which more broadly is an even larger portion of um, both air quality and greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, school buses can be seen perhaps as a beachhead of sorts to drive down all those emissions. We're going to be gaining a lot of experience with manufacturing. A lot of the manufacturers of school buses also manufacture other types of medium heavy duty vehicles. We're going to learn a lot about the battery supply chain. We're going to learn about fleet electrification, um, which touches on um, public and private fleets. Uh, and we're going to learn about the charging infrastructure and the grid and how we need to also modernize and make improvements to that. And then the last thing we point to is this amazing opportunity with school buses that I think is really unique. And it's about normalizing zero emission vehicles for a whole new generation. So our vision is having millions of kids every morning stepping on an electric bus and getting that amazing experience. It's quiet it's safe, it's tailpipe emissions free, and having that be the normal. And so when they think about if they are ever to purchase a vehicle or, or make a choice um, in transportation, electrification is going to be just normalized for them and, and a great opportunity to, to move this great upcoming group of our citizens into, into the future. So we're really excited about that. I mentioned in the introduction, Sue, that there are nearly half a million school buses out there. At mm-hmm. this point, are any of those electrified? And if so, how many? Sure. Well, it's still a small percentage, but we're excited to say that um, there is momentum building. And that's even before we see this large influx of federal and increasingly state money um, coming forward. And I know we're probably going to talk about that a little bit later. We have assembled a database of all the electric school buses that are out there. Uh, We just released a new version of this. And what we've seen over the past six months is that the number of electric school buses have increased by over 50%. Of course, it's a small number, but um, we're now at 1,800, a little over 1,800. So that's an important milestone. Um, Another important milestone is that there are now um, at least one electric school bus in 36 states. Mm. So while the vast majority of school buses are concentrated on the coast. California, Maryland, and Florida have the largest um, number. There are states all across the country, including Alaska and Hawaii, that have at least one school bus. Um, That shows that there's demand. It shows that they can operate in many different um, climate conditions and both rural, urban, suburban. It's spread across those classifications as well. So we do have a lot lot to... uh, Uh, learn from all of that, but we're excited that we're seeing this momentum and um, the opportunity to uh, just keep moving forward. Obviously, a big part of this is going to be paying for it and providing funding. Tell us a little bit about what WRI is doing as far as the funding and how eligible recipients will be able to use that money and get that money. There is a delta, um, a pretty um, big gap in terms of the first cost of an electric school bus compared to other replacement vehicles definitely want to acknowledge that. And that's why it's so important that we have the incentives that we're, we're seeing and, and looking to see more of to help bridge that first cost gap. 
and get to a point where we have what we call, you know, total cost of ownership parity um, with a diesel replacement. Um, there's a lot of savings in operations and maintenance and fuel costs, um, but we need to get to that point where um, it's kind of an, a level um, playing field, which we think is is not too far off into the into the future, possibly as early as the middle of this decade, um, with the idea that as school buses um, and the market matures um, and the demand increases and we build to scale with manufacturing, those prices are going to come down. Um, and so we're going to reach that um, that sweet spot, um, you know, by the middle of this decade. In the meantime, I mentioned the role of incentives. We are really happy that there is a, a, a large new infrastructure investment program as of late last year, as I'm sure many of your members are excited about, because many of us have been working on and waiting for this moment for, for many, many years. And a portion of the uh, Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act is a new $5 billion clean school bus program um, that's going to be administered through the US EPA. They administer the current Diesel Emissions Reduction Act program that has been um, the federal source of funding for alternative fuels, but also electric school buses um, for about the last decade or so. So that was kind of why it ended up um, being housed there. Um, And that $5 billion has two different pots of money. Um, A half of it is dedicated solely to electric school buses. um, And the other half is uh, for electric and um, other lower emission vehicles. And of course, we're hopeful that um, EPA and um, the applications will be able to prioritize the electric option there. Um, That's definitely within the legislation and the guidance there. So that's that's the largest investment um, from the federal government uh, to date. Um, There's Certainly much more that that we're hoping to gain as well, but that will really help kickstart their market, really get an opportunity for every school district um, to um, be thinking about um, school bus electrification throughout the course of this program. <laughs> That's a big development, I should mm-hmm. say. And we at WRI worked with a lot of partners to try to help make that happen. So we're really excited about that win. And now um, we're focused on how to implement that program and offering our ideas for how to best design the program, design the implementation, really want that to focus on equity, really want that to focus on electrification, and really want that to focus on um, an effective program with a rebate and voucher type approach being, you know, we think the most effective way to move the funding out with as little as um, challenges as possible. And really excited that EPA is really leaning in to um, try to make make this the best program um, that's out there to date. So that's a great, you know, a great accomplishment thus far and looking to hopefully additional federal investments um, through the budget process. And then there's a whole array of state programs that, you know, we could talk about as well um, that are gaining traction that that fill in those gaps. We know that California has um, $1.5 billion being proposed. Um, Colorado, smaller market, $150 million is proposed by the governor. New York is looking at a sizable investment tied to some of the goals that they've set. And, you know, really excited about that opportunity, as well as seeing an um, increasing number of investments being proposed by utilities around the country. Um, so again, you know, like just multiple, you know, streams of funding, which is often the case with these types of um, transformations, um, but really encouraging that the numbers are going up. And that really just reflects the the policy priority and the demand that we're seeing on the ground. 
you talked about partners that WRI is working with. Obviously, there are other people that are key to implementing this. Tell us about some of those partners that you are working with, please. Sure. Well, there's a vast array of players in this space, uh, and we're working across the entire ecosystem, and partnerships are absolutely um, key to being successful here. There's been a number of NGOs in particular that have been working on this topic for, you know, for several years. So really, really excited to be partnering with, with many of them and move things forward. And then in addition, we're very focused on the school districts. You know, these are the folks that largely make the decisions about electrification and providing them with technical assistance, both through um, some MOUs that we have, memorandums of understanding to provide what we're calling sort of deep technical assistance. So that involves working with places like New York City and one of their fleets there um, through NiceBus, um, which is a nonprofit contractor, thinking about electrifying their entire fleet. And this is in um, keeping with the citywide goal that the um, previous mayor set and the the uh, the council has have now codified and is moving forward under the, the now current mayor to electrify the entire fleet of New York City buses by 2035. So we're excited about that and being able to work, you know, really intensively in, on one aspect of that, but also working in other parts of the country as well, including Miami-Dade um, as one example, and then Bertie County, North Carolina, a rural county um, in North Carolina as another example. Um, so that's one piece of it. But then we're also developing a cohort, um, a set of cohorts of school districts to really focus on those underserved communities. What do they need? How can we help them access the federal funding that's coming out, um, how can they be getting out in front of the infrastructure needs um, and really responding to the needs of the community? And then we're putting together a whole range of um, resources that all school districts and um, all players can access, um, a buyer's guide to help understand what what models are out there and, and what do they look like. We're developing information on um, how to transition your fleet and tools that can help with that tools to help assess the total cost of ownership that I mentioned earlier. So fleet managers can decide like which vehicles move first based on, you know, their um, um, where they are in the, in the life cycle and getting information out about all the array of funding and financing options, as well as policy guidance. How can um, both state and local uh, policymakers um, help move forward as well? So it's, it's a long list just within that. Um, we also work very closely with the manufacturers um, and others in the supply chain and have a steering committee that um, helps, you know, helps guide and make our work smarter on that front. We're working with the utility sector, with the utility working group we've just recently stood up. Um, I mentioned the policy work. We're concentrated on five um, state level policy plays. Um, so New York, New Jersey, Colorado, Illinois, and Maryland, where we see a lot of opportunity in the next couple of years to really have those states move forward and, and serve as examples for others. Um, and then really creating these partnerships that we started with, both environmental and environmental justice organizations, um, the folks that are working on the ground, that know their communities, that know how school buses and electric school buses can really help help advance their goals, and really excited about all those opportunities. More and more folks are, are starting to you know, adapt their programs and think about how they can move forward as well. As you talk with people, and I'm thinking school districts and small school bus companies and such, yeah. what are the common objections that you're hearing and how do you overcome those hesitancies? What do you tell them to convince them that this is the right way to go? Sure, sure. Well, you mentioned one thing already, and, and those upfront costs are a big barrier. 
helping them think through the strategies to identify and then apply for incentives and and work that into their programs. You know, that's kind of a first hurdle. The second hurdle is adjusting to new technology, a new approach to transportation. That's understandable, right? This is um, a fantastic technology. And we hear repeatedly from kids, from drivers, from fleet managers that, you know, once they get an electric bus in their fleet, they're really excited about it, but it takes some time to get used to it, get used to the the charging um, cycles and um, what that looks like. So just, you know, trying to provide as much information and peer-to-peer sharing on this um, is really important in terms of, you know, being more comfortable with, with the technology. You know, there are some myths out there that I think persist. And so we're we're really um, focused on how do we um, dispel some of these myths. I think probably the most significant one we face is around um, what we call range anxiety, right? And we know this from the light duty side, but looking at the routes that most school buses drive and and the mileage there compared to the range that's available on on you know on the most recent versions of electric school buses we estimate that you know the current buses that are out there can can fulfill the needs of about 90% of the routes mm-hmm. um, so that doesn't mean everything right now but certainly through strategic route planning um, there's ways to work in electric school buses into your fleet there's some you know cold weather degradation that happens again that's something that's you know knowable and you can plan around it and um, and think through that i will note that um, I think I mentioned Alaska earlier, but you know, Alaska, Minnesota, Vermont, a lot of cold weather places are having great experiences with these buses. And it's just a matter of a little more planning and attention to that. It's a host of things. Um, and the more and more school buses that we get out there, um, I think the more understanding and appreciation there's going to be for how to make this transformation successful and um and learning to work with the new technology. So one issue that's important to state DOTs is equity. You touched on this a bit Mm -hmm. in answer to the first question. How does WRI consider equity in its school bus electrification initiative? Really pleased that state DOTs are focused on equity questions as we're seeing uh, across the board. Um, WRI has been very intentional about designing our initiative through an equity lens. And so that's maybe a little bit different and unique and um, something that we're we're learning about as we go. Um, so, you know, just put that out there, but it, it's about thinking through our, our processes, um, our partners that I mentioned, as, as well as our policy efforts and trying to focus our work um, or being intentional about focusing our work on communities where we're seeing high levels of poverty, high percentages of people of color, and high levels of air quality. Those are some of the main characteristics we look at, although there's other ones as well. Working with them to co-create the solutions, not coming in as the think tank experts, but you know, really wanting to understand their needs and building work on equity across everything we do. We have a cross-cutting equity team, you know, sitting within WRI that helps us with that. We're developing um, a whole framework to help guide our work with the help of a lot of external experts as well. Um, and really just building it into the work that we do every day. You know, school buses is one example, um, be part of um, reshaping the inequities that we see thus now. So it's it's a really important part of what we do. And we're really excited about it too, because it is a great opportunity and a, a chance to to share what we're learning as well. 
You mentioned a couple of states that have already yeah. set aside funding, California yeah. and Colorado. Other than funding, what role do state DOTs have in making school bus electrification a priority? We are really excited to have um, state DOTs be part of this um, broader effort. I'd say the the funding is is an important part of it. Um, we've also, you know, seen at a, maybe a higher state level um, a lot of regulatory efforts that are important, um, and some of those include um, setting goals and targets around electrification more broadly, but also school bus electrification. So um, there's a group of 16 states across the country that have um, chosen to be part of a multi-state memorandum of understanding to move forward on transportation electrification, inclusive of buses, um, and then kind of taking that a level uh, deeper, uh, about eight of those states have chosen to join California and advance the um, what's called the Advanced Clean Trucks Rule that also includes school buses and, and set a regulatory structure in place or begin to set a regulatory structure in place to try to push the market to electrification. Um, And so DOTs play an important role in helping with those broader initiatives. But really, I think it's about being part of a number of agencies across the state, um, really thinking about who else in the state can you as a transportation official be talking to, to move forward together, um, thinking about is there an opportunity for some kind of sub-cabinet arrangement, for instance, I know a number of states have, have looked at Everybody kind of understands their role and how they work together um, and, you know, kind of avoid some of those trip ups um, when when you hear about things, you know, after the fact, instead of being able to coordinate funding or support or, you know, just the investments that you're making on the ground. Certainly DOTs have opportunity to think about the policy levers and their role in things like designating um, alt-fuel corridors and thinking about um, safe routes to school and, you know, other programs that are already existing. Are there pieces of those programs, you know, that can be modified and adjusted to think about, you know, how this relates to um, school buses? There's, you know, certainly opportunities around research um, and, you know, again, building in the opportunities to think about where um, what's happening with electric school buses, you know, can be part of any kind of broader research strategy and then, you know, again, working cross states, as I mentioned, through those policy vehicles and sharing best practices. And and you know, I'd say maybe normalizing electric school buses and normalizing electric transportation um, across the departments of transportation would be, you know, just a great objective there. We're obviously in the early stages of this initiative and where it's going to go. I think it's going to be very interesting to follow it and, and see where it goes. But we want to thank Sue Gander, who has been our guest on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast. She is the director of the Electric School Bus Initiative at the World Resources Institute. Sue, thanks so much for taking some time out to chat with us. Thank you, Bernie.